Good morning, planet Earth. Good morning to the Colorado convents and the busty nuns greasing themselves. Good morning to the people of Nebraska. Are they the corn huskers? I don't know if I even give a shit anymore. Good morning to the people of Oklahoma. Good morning to the people of Texas. Good morning to the people of Juarez, just across the border from El Paso. Good morning. It's Thursday, June the 23rd. Right around, you know, 7.45 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. That's Thursday, June the 23rd, 2022 Boblimp Doc. 7.45 a.m., more or less, Mountain Standard Time. So, before I get into any core topics, and I really am tired of all the bullshit, but before I talk about deconstructing the bullshit, I want to talk about a few things going on in my life right now. Number one, I start a new job on Monday, and I've been a little bit, you know, skeptical about that job. I've had a hard time putting it into a bucket. Like, I want to put it into the bucket called good luck. But the problem is, and this is the hard part, even though I do believe in the concept of random fortune, and that's what good luck is, random good fortune. Now, if you're a Christian, there's nothing random about it. But if you're an atheist, it's just random good fortune. Um, as a Christian, and there's really no such thing as good luck. It's something that the Lord has put into your path to work on. Sometimes it feels like a good thing, and it can turn out to be a bad thing. <clears throat> Sometimes it's a bad thing, and it becomes a good thing. I mean, if you ever read the book of Job, understand this, that one of the themes of Job and his relationship with God, and remember, the story of Job is a wisdom book, so it's probably fiction, but it's the kind of fiction we should read. Um, but I'm sure people have lived that life. It's, arch it's archetypal, especially for Christians and, and Hebrews and the children of Jacob. It's an archetype is what Job is. But when you think about Job's relationship to God, it really is a lot about understanding what it means to have good fortune. Not the whole story, but part of it is about that. Part of it is about the human's inability to think of good fortune in a proper context. It's like, I go get a lottery ticket, I pick the right numbers, and now I'm a, I'm a, a bazillionaire. I'm a gazillionaire. And you'd say, well, that's really good luck. That's good fortune. But a couple years later, a couple of my older kids are strung out on drugs. My, my wife divorces me because I was cheating on her with hookers while doing a lot of cocaine. And so you, you, can, you can look at something and say, that's good fortune, really. That's really, you're really lucky. But sometimes it's not always that simple, you know, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. Um, the, I don't think the Lord in heaven is like B.F. Skinner. I don't think he intends to torture us, put us into a box where if you don't push the right button, you don't win. I don't think that's remotely part of it. But there is a plan. There is a plan and there is good and there's evil. 
And there are things that happen in your life that are not always that obvious. There are things we should not touch that we do. There are things that we should touch that we don't. There's a part of our life that should be turned on but's turned off. And then we spend all day staring at glowing rectangles. You know, if you ask yourself, where is your attention? That will tell you where your God is. And for a lot of people, it's that little glowing rectangle. So I don't have any unambiguous ways of dealing with good luck these days. Um, this job will be a good job. It's good money. It's work I can do. They, they delivered all the equipment and the computer they got for me is probably worth 12 times, no, excuse me, 20 times that used computer I used on a project a year ago, the one from 2007. So probably 20 times its value and that's being really, really kind. So when you do a compare and contrast in your head and say, holy crap, look at what they're paying me, look at the computer they're giving me, it must be that happy times are here again. Yeah, you know, some type of happy times. Happy days are here again. Like that song from the Great Depression, right? But I don't know. We'll see. Another thing, too, um, I haven't really been talking a lot about rad engineering since we went to Sandy, Utah, and the reason is really quite simple. Both Justin and I have got to focus on other priorities like paying the bills. And so I need to start a job, which I do on Monday. He's been working a job, which he really loves. But the reality is it takes him into the woods for eight days at, at a time. And that means for those eight days, we're not doing anything with rad engineering um, with respect to, to Justin. And that's okay. But that's reality. When he and I got into this, we didn't have rose-colored glasses. We didn't say to ourselves, oh, this is going to be so easy. This is an uphill battle. I mean, if we actually pulled this off, the, the version one would be something that really just a lot of preppers and people who are into the hobby would buy. But the version two could be something that frees people, frees them from the assumption that they need the internet the way it works currently that they have to be on the World Wide Web, that there might be other options. Version 1 isn't going to do that, but version 2 very well could. And so if we did succeed, it would be big. And ultimately, um, neither Justin nor myself are in this to become bazillionaires. I'm not a communist, neither is he. It's just that we're both adults, and we understand our relationship to the world. We don't need a yacht that is 500 feet long. We don't need a jet if we're never gonna fly it. And we certainly don't need to pile a pile of money someplace. It doesn't mean I don't want a home. My God, at this point in my life, if I could afford to buy a home, that would be good fortune, right? Unless it attracts the hookers. And sometimes the hookers come. Sometimes they do. I so what? Here's what I'll tell you about rad engineering. Um, I'm going to put in the time I can. We are not giving up. We've notified the two folks that have made deposits with us, and we've notified them that worst case scenario, we're simply going to refund them their money, which is the only right thing to do. But what's what we're going to do is keep trying. Um, it turned out to be more difficult. In, in some ways than I realized because of the money issue. The problem is we couldn't afford to lose a radio. The problem is if you're an engineer and you're testing and doing development, even if you're perfect at what you do, you're gonna make mistakes. And you might not know everything. I, I Justin knew more about the radio stuff than I did when I got into it. I was mostly working on the computer programming part of it. And so, we couldn't afford to lose a radio. Well, now, with the money I'll be making, I can buy enough equipment that if something went wrong, we could deal with it. And that's part of this whole point of doing this. Now, do I think there are enough months on the real calendar left 
to do any of this? I have no idea. I have none. I've been very consistent about saying I do not believe this is the end of the world. But I've also been very consistent in telling you that a lot of worlds, a lot of people's realities are about to flip upside down. And you haven't seen anything yet. It's like you're on a sailboat and you're and you're leaning over, you know, and, and you say to yourself, oh, this feels like it's going to tip over. And dude, you don't understand sailboats. I mean, you're not going to tip over unless conditions are horrible. And when that happens, you'll know. You know, it's just healing right now. It's just at that 45 degrees because you're on a beam reach, you fuck. And you're, you're cruising on this baby pretty fast. She's a, she's a two-master little, you know, keel boat. She's a beautiful foresail, mainsail type ditty. But you think you're tipping over, dude? You're wrong. If you let loose of that main, if you let loose of that halyard or whatever, and you let those sails flop about, or excuse me, let loose of your sheets, not halyard, your sheets. If you let loose your sheets, you'll lose power and you'll bob like a little bob in the water. But you don't know what it means to tip over yet. You don't. I don't either. There's a big difference between heeling over in that really scary beam reach with that 20 mile per hour wind, which frankly for me is as much as I'd ever want to deal with. And I had a really bad experience Labor Day 2010 in that kind of situation. But, um, that's still not tipping over. Sailboats are designed to not tip over. If a, if a sailboat capsizes and tips over, something really, really fucking bad happened. I'm not talking about the little laser boats. I'm talking about a keel boat with a lot of you know mass in its keel and designed to tip but not tip over. They're designed to tip, but not tip over. If a sailboat like that tips over and flips over and capsizes, something really bad happened. And that's kind of where I've been consistent. And for a lot of people, they would call that the end of the world. There are a lot of people who'd say, well, Dan, won't some people drown? Well, some people are already drowning, motherfucker. And they'll say, Dan, won't some people starve? And I'll say, motherfucker, get a goddamn newspaper. And they'll say, Dan, won't people go cray-cray and start tossing knives at each other? Have you been to Chicago, baby? Everything you're afraid of is already happening. It may not be happening in your neighborhood, and God bless. But the fact is, it's happening. And if you believe the the news, they'll tell you it's all under control. And what I would tell you is the belief that it can be all under control and you're not God is erroneous. Okay? The Lord in heaven has it under control. You people, we people, us little scurrying crabs running about the earth, we don't have much under control. We pretend to. We pretend to have a lot that we control, but really, how much do we control? And that's a bit of a tangent, isn't it? That's a terrible tangent. Anyways, we're not giving up on rad engineering, but we're going to do what we can. One of my goals by the end of July is to have a continuous listening station set up here. And I'm hoping by the end of August, I can get back with my friend in Puerto Rico and set up the station at that time in Puerto Rico. Because, frankly, it wasn't that easy getting the setup done, and we never really got there because I got paranoid about frying the guy's radio. I just, I really did not want to take the risk that we did not understand the duty cycles of these radios well enough. And that is just the way it is. I mean, there's a lot of people in the world of radio who would just assume it stay an insider club and completely unusable. If you understand the difference between a modern mobile phone and like a CB radio, understand this. That mobile phone is designed to be used. That CB radio is almost designed to not be used. Now you could say, well, Dan, that's just because it's the way it is. No, people can imagine ergonomics differently, okay? A lot of these radio kits have really terrible 
ergonomical design. I would say really shitty. Now you could argue that maybe it's efficient, although I don't really see that argument as being intelligent at all, but it is really bad ergonomics. And in terms of how they work internally, I think my friend Justin could speak to this, probably a lot of this stuff is deliberately hobbled. So you can't do certain things. Well, that is the situation we found ourselves in, in January. And we're not giving up, and this is June. And I do think we've achieved some things that are worthwhile. It's not the kind of stuff you get paid for, um, like education and outreach, but it, it's something. And if I get the money in, and I have a couple of months of not crazy, not ship tipping over, I think I'll be able to afford to buy the equipment needed to make faster progress in many ways. It's counterintuitive, but having the extra money in this case might mean getting more stuff done. Anywho, more on that to come, really. I am still thinking about changing the direction of the podcast. Um, about a year ago, year, really a year and a half ago, I was thinking about getting back and just doing fiction. And I did a little. I mean, the, the Manson lectures were fun. They were not very good work, but they weren't the worst work I'd ever done. So the Manson lectures were interesting, but they were kind of ridiculous. I'm thinking about doing fiction, but I've also thought about doing a kind of Bible study series, um, maybe in reverse, which means start with the book of Revelation and work backwards. I don't know. That may sound crazy. You say, oh, Dan, that's wrong. In reality, as long as you read the words correctly in order, the order you read the books is not what's critical. The fact that you read the Bible and study it is critical. So I was thinking, why don't I start with the book of Revelation and go backwards? Now that may sound crazy, and if you want to accuse me of some sort of craziness, I don't really fucking care. I'm pretty certain, like I said, as long as you read the books the way you're supposed to, which books you read first is not critical. It's always good to start with Genesis. It's always good to end with Revelation. It's always great to learn about Jesus and his birth and his execution and his resurrection. And, it's, and that's good too. But you don't have to read these books specifically in any order, in my opinion. I don't think that was the point of how the Bible was organized. I mean, I'm certain they tried to do that chronologically, but that's not the whole point. So I don't know. I'm thinking of doing a Bible series because I feel that it could be the case that we are looking at something more than just really difficult times. If it's just tough times, it'll be tough, but it could be something else, who knows. More to come on that, especially when it has to do with the fiction. I need to come up with a good kind of fictional serial type model where I can do about an hour's worth of a chapter or even a short story. Like do a short story series. That might be fun. I don't know. So, one of the reasons why I'm thinking about... Okay, before I continue, I need to add something else, too. Um, I usually do this at the end of the podcast, but I figured I might do it at the start, just to, just to let you know. Um, I think money's tight out there, and it's tight for everybody. And I've got a few donors who donate a lot, which I wish they didn't have to. I wish that they didn't in a way. I wish I simply had more listeners. And, and I don't know how to change that. You know, I learned from SoundCloud that even if I paid a company, I would still get shadow banned. And as far as GoDaddy goes, they rip me off. And, and I'm not getting calls from lawyers. They rip me off. They stole 
my property. They stole my prepaid fees. They ripped me off. And I have no recourse. If you want to understand the situation for people who don't have money, this is the situation now. You obey or you are, as much as they can, destroyed. The good news about living, living like a hobo is there's not a lot for them to take. I mean, that's another thing that worries me about this new job is that there'll be more for them to take, but who knows? I think that the situation is so untenable for the, whatever, federal government at this point that they're just too busy just trying to tread water. I don't even think half the things we're being told are actually true. So, so that's where I'm at. But like I said, and I, I declared a beer emergency a week ago, I think, and that beer emergency is a lot like Lake Mead. You know, if we reach Deadpool, the, if we reach Deadpool with the beer emergency, the beer reservoir, the beer reservoir, then that means that probably we won't have that existential juice, that e extra electric power that you've all gotten used to, you know. You can wake up to the planetary status. So I, I wouldn't mind getting a few bucks. Um, I start work on Monday. If you have the money and you can donate it, it doesn't have to be much. If you're a bazillionaire from crypto, God bless, I think. But ultimately, I don't think any crypto people are going to give me any money. But if you're out there and you have a few extra bucks and you want to just donate, there'll be a PayPal link in the notes. You can click on the link and donate whatever you have. I feel like shit for asking for it, but I know other podcasters do. That's enough of that. So I am circling around a, a rabbit hole that I dug into in 2018. And the reason why I dug into it is because for about four or five weeks that, that summer, uh, in 2018, the air in Seattle was unbreathable. It was unbreathable up and down western Washington. And I had people trying to gaslight me saying, well, Dan, don't you remember wildfires? I remember wildfires when I was a fucking kid. I absolutely remember fire season. I cannot recall the air quality being so bad that people were panting and dropping dead in the streets. And there were people who looked like they were going to drop dead, and I'm pretty certain a few did. 2018, the skies were orange and black. They were otherworldly for several weeks. And the explanation I got from a lot of gaslighters, well, it's just wildfires. If we cut down more trees, everything would be okay. I never believed it, but I didn't have the right answer. Like, I'm not someone who ever really picked a side with the question of climate change, because a lot of it seemed too political. Even the scientific work seemed too political. If, if, if a scientific theory says something's happening, fine. But if, the, if in the next sentence they say, therefore we need one world government, therefore we need socialism, that's when you lose me. Okay, you lose me. A is not connected to B. It is the ultimate um, non sequitur to claim that a scientific theory will ever imply any kind of political arrangement. It is insane. And yet, there are scientists in the climate change world who do the whole, well, since the world is about to explode, we all have to become communists. And I think that's probably the opposite thing you'd want to do. So I'm going to read you my general theory, my theory for what's going on in the worst case. The base case is the collapse of the dollar empire. That's where we're at right now. You know, if this nonsense had ended uh, in 2020, late 2020, you could have said it was just the screw believe. It was just 2008 redone. You know, just worse, a lot more pain for poor people. The screw believe. But the fact is, it didn't end in 2020. 
and it spawned all of these minor forms of military psychological warfare. Of course, the core kind has been the COVID, the monkey herpes, the coffee filter cult. You know, the coffee filter cult. Oh, you got a coffee filter on? I've got three of them on. And I jog 10 miles a day, meow, with three on. I did, if, if the climate change issue is real, I no longer believe it has anything to do with what they've told us. Which is to say that it's not about you driving your car, probably not. It's not about eating hot dogs, it's not about eating steaks. If this is a real issue, it was going to be a thing no matter what. Now a lot of this depends upon understanding some basic mechanics of the Earth's climate system. And one of the most critical components, and it doesn't matter if it's the oceanic system or the atmospheric system, one of the most critical components to that system is the Arctic. For a number of reasons, okay? Because prior to, you know, several decades ago, it was covered in ice almost year round, it reflected sunlight in the summertime. It reflected sunlight from what's called the albedo effect. The coolness of the Arctic Ocean drove these pumps, these underwater pumps or water flows. The Gulf Stream is the result of one of these pumps that involves the heat exchange with the Arctic. The same thing is true of the jet stream. So the Arctic in the Northern Hemisphere, absolutely with respect to the atmosphere, but probably with respect to the whole planet as far as the oceanic currents go, the Arctic is like an air conditioner. Some people call it a refrigerator, and here's why. Because like in the movie where they use the liquid nitrogen to cool the trigger on the bomb, the Arctic covers a lot of organic material, a lot. Um, the permafrost has kept trapped a lot of organic material going back tens of thousands of years. You had researchers in Siberia, and I've mentioned this before, Russian researchers in Siberia who would uncover a mastodon, a woolly mammoth, 12,000 years old, and would eat the flesh from the animal. That's how well-preserved the organic materials in the permafrost had been up until recently. If you believe what you're told, the permafrost is in collapse. And I've seen the pictures, if the pictures are real, it's way worse than I think people understand. It's not a linear process. A lot of people think that it could be, it's not. It's not, they wanna believe it because some scientists will give them a linear model and, and it's wrong. The rate at which organics are converted by microbes is geometric and non-linear. So we don't know how quickly those trillions upon trillions of tons of organic material will convert to methane, CO2, and nitrous oxide. But as long as they do convert, as they convert, they increase the likelihood of more conversion. That's the terrible math of the methane feedback loop. And then in the Arctic Ocean, and specifically the East Siberian Arctic Shelf, you have potentially trillions of tons of what's called methane hydrate methane that exists within a stability zone. As long as temperature and pressure and other things don't change, the methane remains in a bound ice form with water. It's a water-ice situation. That's why they call the hydrate. It's a frozen combination of water and methane, also called fire ice. As long as the pressure and the temperature remain steady in the Arctic Ocean, specifically the East Siberian Arctic Shelf, those trillions of tons of methane don't go anywhere, or at least they don't go anywhere fast, and that's just as good. So I don't think this was ever about the climate change or the global warming as defined. I, I believe um, probably more than 100 years ago, they began to understand this issue. And as they did more research in the Arctic, and around the Arctic Circle, I'm sure they came to a realization that the Arctic itself, the ice cap, sits on an unexploded bomb. That's what you could think of it like. I mean, people call it the methane bomb or the clathrate bomb, 
but it is like an unexploded bomb or a financial transaction that never cleared. Imagine you get paid, paid someone with a check. They mowed your lawn this summer. You wrote them a check for 300 bucks. Now, of course, these days, if the check is older than 90 days, it'll get rejected. But imagine you lived in a world where that didn't happen and somebody held on to that check for 20 years. And then, depending upon the value of the dollar, which again, in fantasy land, let's say it stays the same, they cash the check. If you want to think about the permafrost and the frozen methane in the Arctic, it's a lot like a check that was never cashed. For most diverse geological natural history, the earth was warmer. It, it kind of implies that these materials being held up, being in a sink of sorts and being under control, changed the normal baseline of the earth. The earth was warmer, the oceans were higher for most diverse history. It was hothouse earth, or what I sometimes call Florida man world. Because in Florida man world, Florida's gone, baby. It's a reef. It, it's a reef complex. Maybe with some of those floating mangrove islands, but I don't know. In Florida man world, Florida is under 100 to 200 feet of water. But the world itself looks a lot more like Florida. In Florida man world, 20 years from today, if that's where we were headed, you could already see alligators up and down the west coast of the United States, probably all the way to Alaska. Because they will you know, proliferate. Alligators are very, very good at that. They've been around a long time. Crocodiles and alligators, you do your own research, but <clears throat> they've been around since the dinosaurs. And there's a reason for that. They know what the fuck they're doing. In their little niche, they're good at it. They're good at what they do. They don't do everything we do. They don't need to. But for what they need to do, they do it well. Like grabbing little puppies in Florida, baby. The trapping of those organics and the, the covering of the Arctic in an ice cap created a set of conditions over the last 10,000 years that was very friendly to the development of human civilization. Extremely friendly. Understand, if you believe what you're told from your science classes, Homo sapiens been around for about at least 100,000 years, maybe 200,000. So in that time, there have been wild extremes, ice ages, terrible ice ages, and probably some pretty messed up warming periods, but a lot of ice ages. What happened at the end of the last ice age is that the warming continued, but the Arctic kind of changed its form, and because of that, it took on the form, like I said, of an air conditioner. It allowed the heat exchange to occur. It facilitated it in, in a way that was extremely friendly to human civilization, extremely friendly to relatively, and again, this is relative, relatively predictable situations. Throughout those 10,000 years, you've had little ice ages, you've had little warming periods, but for the most part, the Arctic, as an air conditioner, as a kind of thermostat, has kept the Earth mostly within a temperature range that was pretty freaking friendly to humans. So friendly that we, we, did pro, we did proliferate. We did go everywhere. We went everywhere we could go. We, we hunted, we started to raise, raise crops, we raised food, we built cities, and then we started becoming scumbags to each other, which again, who knows why it had to happen that way. But we ended up going down some dark roads of power because things got so easy. Even in the ancient world, if you compare the ancient world to most of human history so far, the ancient world was still way easier. Imagine being Homo sapiens 40 or 50,000 years ago. That was harder, a lot harder. That was basically the Stone Age. And in that world, maybe you can do a few basic things. You can start a fire, at least you can cook your food. 
but you don't have any of the features of what you get from the agrarian economy. You don't have any predictability. You are always almost constantly between feast or famine. And, and the bottom line is you probably spent most of your life in hunger. So these last 10,000 years have been interesting. My guess is about 100 years ago, plus or minus, they figured this out. They came to understand this. And once they got to the 1960s and they had computers powerful enough to process the data they had, they probably had a holy shit moment. Because a lot of weird stuff started happening around 1970. A lot of strange stuff. The Norman Borlaug Revolution, the credit card expansion, the petrodollar, the dumping of inflation in China. Yeah. And they probably started the geoengineering, as Dane Wigington pointed out, around World War II as a way to deal with this. And they started it in the Arctic. Why would you start in the Arctic? Because people don't go there. Okay, most of the people are someplace else. And given the nature of computing back then, they probably fucked it up a lot. That explains, you know, the 1970s where they said, oh my God, we're entering an ice age. In all likelihood, that was probably a fuck up because they simply could not make good predictions about the nature of the climate. Even though they were engineering it, even though they were doing something extremely dangerous and poisonous, in addition to all that, they just weren't that good, and we could probably never be that good at making good estimates and predictions. And a lot of this changed about 20 years ago. But back in 1970, they probably were aggressively cooling the Arctic. And as such, they probably didn't overshoot. In fact, the overshoot could be related to the oh shit moment when they had a computer powerful enough to give them a good estimate of when the methane feedback would really kick in because it had already started. It's just the question is how bad, how quickly, how soon would it get terrible? By the time you get to 2001, the geoengineering is not just in the Arctic any longer. It's everywhere. And, and at that point, you're talking about, I think you'd call it palliative care or end-of-life care, hospice. I mean, I don't like using that term because there's someone who uses it and I'm not really interested in talking about death cults. But in a way, they adopted a hospice approach. Like they knew they, they lost the Arctic probably in 2001. But what they could do is gaslight the fuck out of people. They could keep the East Coast mostly cool. And this process would make sure that the boiling water, you know what's, don't go cook off too. That's good. You don't want those boiling water reactors cooking off. And in any type of rapid warming event, that's going to happen. That's pretty much baked into the cake. So probably 9-11 was a baseline check. And probably since 9-11, they have been doing this geoengineering in the way they've been doing it. Not so much that they think they can stop what's happening or or definitely reverse it, but mostly just to keep people unaware, as Dane says, until the last minute. To keep talking climate change. Because if you're going to have these weird events where the temperature drops by 100 degrees in July, you need to talk about climate change. It's not global warming anymore. It's climate change. Okay, It's not endothermics being dropped from aircraft. No, no, no. It's magical Al Gore, little Greta Thunberg, climate change. Now, is it possible that anthropogenic warming is connected to the trigger? That what started this process and made it noticeable 100 years ago um, was triggered by this, by us, by us doing what we do? It's possible. It's possible. And this is a weird way of getting into the topic that we're going to get into because I believe this is an explanation for the worst case. I don't know that we are going to, we're going to get to the worst case. My, in the worst case, they believed probably around 2019, the situation would get so out of control that it would be dangerous for people to go across the oceans and cruise ships. It would be too dangerous for everybody to fly. So they needed to gaslight people about flying planes and taking ships. 
And the key goal was just to keep that down to a minimum and to control the routes. Because when the feedback loop gets bad, coastal methane is going to cook off. And you'll have a ship out there on the coast of some country off the west coast sitting out there, maybe a container ship, and you will see it rapidly disappear. And you'll say, what the fuck just happened? Was that an alien? Was that an octopus? Was that the Russians? Or, or was that a plume of methane? Now I'm going to tell you a story before I get into the reason why I had to go over the theory again of the worst case. In 2005, I was on my honeymoon in Alaska. We were rafting on the Six Mile River, a river that had class four and class five rapids. I was wearing full, you know, dry suit because the temperature of the water was about 39 degrees. I was wearing a life preserver and we did a swim test. We did all the things you're supposed to do. After the first two rapids, I got knocked off the raft, in part because it was only me and my ex-wife on the raft and the guide. And that's just not enough weight. And they told us this, they were honest about it, to really guarantee that you know the raft would be stable. You need more people, actually, more ballast. So I got kicked into a whirlpool. And the whirlpool was just this highly aerated eddy of water, probably 20 feet deep. And as much as I swam, and as much as I was buoyant, as, as, as I believed I was with the life preserver and the dry suit, I kept sinking. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, I swam really hard and I could not keep my head above water. And listen, it's not that hard to understand. Highly aerated water is less dense. It's like boiling water it's less dense. As a system, it's far less dense. So anything that would give you buoyancy under normal conditions in the water no longer gives you buoyancy. So when people talk to me about the methane plumes and the ships disappearing, I have my own basic experience with that phenomena. I don't need somebody to show me a scientific experiment, even though when I was a teenager, I'm pretty certain that they did that. They had a news program where they said, hey, here's the Bermuda Triangle. It's not aliens. It's not Bigfoot. It's not the Loch Ness Monster. It's not, you know, some dimension or something else. It's just the fact that when the methane from deep in the sea gets released, you know, and it can come up in a mass release, that release will change the density of the water and a ship that is normally buoyant will sink. That's what it is. It's not magic. Now, what I've noticed since 2001, and I consider this really interesting, I, I think that since 2001 it's interesting, is that whereas when I was a kid, they more or less, you know, scientists, oceanographers had more or less said, we solved the Bermuda Triangle, okay? We solved why airplanes would fall out of the sky and disappear completely. We solved why ships would radically sink and disappear. We solved a lot of these problems with one solution, okay? A large-scale methane release or methane plume. So this was back in the 70s and 80s. They'd solved it. But what's interesting is post-2001, and this is mostly about fiction, but not completely. A lot of stuff that masquerades as a truth, like the History Channel crap about UFOs and aliens is probably bullshit, but this is, this is stuff that shows up in science fiction movies. But since 2001, there has been a really hardcore effort with respect to the narratives you'll see in science fiction to basically retell the Bermuda Triangle as, no, it's not about methane, it's about aliens, it's about Bigfoot, it's about, you know, secret weapons they have. It's not about methane. Now, why would that be the case? You could say, well, Dan, oh, that's just random. Well, it's not random, okay? So I'm watching this really dumb movie this morning, and it's a remake of a, a science fiction story from Ed, Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, The Land That Time Forgot. And there was another version of this movie back in the 60s, I think, with Troy McClure or something, I don't know. Doug McClure. I think Troy McClure is a, is a Simpsons character, but Doug McClure, I think. But the point is, um, 
they remade it and they have C. Thomas Howe. And about 29 minutes in, they're thinking about how they ended up on this mysterious island because they'd been on their way to Puerto Rico. And the captain says, well, holy crap, we went through some sort of time tunnel. And C. Thomas Howe says, well, wait a minute, I heard it was about methane. Which is funny because there's no reason you have to put that in there, none. It's almost like product placement. It doesn't even fit. You could simply have them talking about this time tunnel and you never have to mention the word methane. But by putting it in there, it juxtaposed it with this mysterious magical explanation. Well, no, it's not methane. It's a time tunnel. It's a time rift. It's a rift that opens through time. What's really funny is when they got on the other side of the time tunnel, and maybe this is just really, really lazy post-production editing or whatever, but what's really funny is when they got to the, the, the land that time forgot, you could see geoengineering trails in, in, the, in the movie. And, and that makes it hard to believe they got to the land that time, because maybe time forgot, but not Raytheon. Raytheon didn't forget. Just like Pepperidge Farms, they remember, so does Raytheon. Since the year 2001, which is actually when I think they took their most recent baseline, like in this crazy theory I'm throwing out there, 9-11 is not about oil, it's, it's not about Arabs and Iranians, it's not about taking over countries mostly. 9-11 is primarily about getting a baseline, shutting down air traffic. How would you do that? And I'm not saying there weren't other agendas, but how would you shut down air traffic, which would include the geoengineering at the time? How would you shut it down for a week and reduce it for several weeks? Um, how would you do that if, if it wasn't by some Oh my God, the terrorists are flying planes in the buildings. It's hard to believe how you do it, especially, you know, you basically have to have to do the whole paper, um, box cutter thing because anybody can get a box cutter. So, so ultimately you have to do that. You have to show that any of these planes with a bunch of box cutters and dudes that learn how to take off in Microsoft Pilot, any of these planes could be taken over and flown into buildings. It's just that easy. Of course, you know, the, the engineers and architects for 9-11 Truth, which is an organization trying to get to the truth, would probably disagree with you. But assuming all it takes is a bunch of your friends, Microsoft flight simulator software, uh, some box cutters, you know, if that's all you need, then how do you control that? Well, that's a great way to shut down air travel everywhere. It's a great way to get a baseline. Because a lot of scientific understanding of reality is about being able to remove variables. And in this particular case, they needed to understand at that time how bad, bad was. And it looked pretty bad. And this also is why I'm very skeptical of the Ukraine situation. You know, it could be a real thing, but, but COVID wasn't, I know that. So why would this be? I can tell you something about the Ukraine situation. It takes 60% of the Arctic Circle and removes it from the world of peer-reviewed science. Basically, nobody's going to be doing any coordinated research on that part of the Arctic Circle, the Russian part, and one of the most critical parts, the Eastern Siberian Arctic Shelf, um, which again, as I stated, is filled with a lot of organics, trillions of tons, and that's not everything. Yeah, you don't, you don't get to see that because of the Ukraine war. Prior to this, there's evidence that last summer, last year, excuse me, had one of the highest periods of methane release. And they're starting to write articles, these cover your butt articles, where they say, well, maybe kind of, sort of, we were wrong about the aliens and the Bermuda Triangle, and maybe kind of, sort of, you know, the methane issue is an issue. Prior to the last couple years, if you brought up the methane bomb, people would say you were crazy. Now, the, the quote-unquote scientists are starting to write cover-your-butt articles. It doesn't mean anything. It's just interesting in terms of how it fits with events. 
they've been able to show pictures of these blowouts, not just on ground, baby, not just these big craters, you know, on the earth in the, in the permafrost, but they've shown permafrost blowouts from the Arctic Ocean sea bottom. So these are the meth these are the hydrates that are going to start getting released the more this happens. Again, I think this is the worst case scenario that explains why they've been doing the stupid shit they're doing. And I still don't say it's a sure bet. It's not a guarantee, in part because where it leads, you know. Next topic. So they've been talking a lot about this Roe versus Wade thing. And I don't know. As an anarchist, my opinion is you should make the decisions you need to make. Understand that in the Old Testament, people would leave babies out for exposure if they couldn't feed them. I mean, they didn't talk about it in the book, but this is stuff that happened back then. And it's not even just back then. There are still places in the world today where people are so poor, they will take a baby and leave it out for exposure to die. It's not right, but I truly don't know how you pass a law against it unless you want to take ownership of making sure that baby gets fed. And a lot of people are really up on don't let any babies die, but not so up on, okay, how do you keep them from dying? And that's not even mentioning how do we just not use missiles to blow people up? Because a lot of folks who are, you know, anti-abortion also tend to be the people that are okay with us stealing Syrian oil and setting Syrian people's homes on fire. So it's just weird. It's hard to correlate that, really. You know? As an anarchist, I just want to live in a free world. But in terms of the political narrative of our current corrupt, crooked, neo-Stalinist system, this is what's going on. It looks like they're setting up for another kind of BLM Antifa summer. And why? Well, if it's a fuzzy event like the collapse of the US dollar, that's why. And if it's a fuzzy event like the methane feedback, well, that's why. We'll find out why if it's a third or fourth option pretty fucking soon. But it does look like they're setting up for the whole, let's put the bricks on the corner, let's hand out the flyers, let's get the cops, you know, dressed up in their masks, and they'll have to do something related to that because, yeah, you know, the great thing about the monkey herpes, the COVID, is it meant that a lot of cops could wear masks in the summer of 2020 and you wouldn't know they were basically bike cops, not unless you understood what to look for. You wouldn't fucking know that they were FBI. You wouldn't know they were military intelligence. And by the way, the fact that the army is hiring fatties and people with, with purple hair only helps them with respect to military intelligence domestically. It means they can put a lot of MI troops that, yeah, they look out of shape. Guess what? That means they fit in, fucker. So I'm wondering, when I talked about the hooker republics of Chaz Chop, this is the, the Capitol Hill autonomous zone, the Capitol Hill whatever bullshit, Chaz Chopia, the, the kingdom of Lord Roz, when I talked about, you know, the hooker republics in the summer of 2020, I proposed that there would be a first hooker republic. And that was the one I documented with my fucking camera before they tore it down. I don't mean the camera, but the hooker republic in July. They did it behind a police line, probably because they were disposing of bodies. You know. God forbid people know the truth, right? And I know Seattle has a new mayor today, and I don't give a fuck because that mayor is still probably a douchebag. I know Jenny Durkin was a piece of shit. I know I have on camera Seattle employees admitting they were there to help the Chaz Chopians. But as I said, that was the first hooker republic of Chaz Chopia. You know, and technically the first and the second, because the first was... I believe Chop, and the second was Chaz, the first was Chop, and the second was ruled over by Lord Raz. So technically, the first and second Hooker Republic is like basically June, May-ish, June, July. So by the middle of July, you have the transition to the second Hooker Republic, July 2020. And that was the Hooker Republic overseen by Lord Raz. 
But I remember predicting that there would be a third Hooker Republic. I told you there would be at least a third or a fourth. And so I think with the um, abortion thing, they're setting up for a lesbian society. You know, maybe trans-lesbian. Someplace in Chastopia. It might not be happening right now. Guess what? I don't care enough about fucking Seattle at this point to even research it. Like, this is just hypothetical. It could be happening right now. The third hooker republic of Chop Chaz is being established right now in Capitol Hill by the various cohorts and Seattle police and FBI. They mock me, but wait for it. They'll be harvesting their crops in the park in view of those half a million dollar condos. Those condos that pay property taxes to fund, you know, the shitheads that were building barricades to seal them in with the crapheads only a few hundred feet from Ferrari of Seattle. Ferrari of Seattle. Ferrari of Seattle. Get your Ferrari. Not far from Chaz Chop, Lord Roz. Because it more or less was unscathed. It had a couple broken windows. They put up some boutique plywood, but throughout the epics of the first and second Hooker Republic of Chastopia, Ferrari of Seattle continued to sell, you know, Ferraris a couple hundred feet away. I mean, those Chastopians were burning down old people's coffee shops. Those Chastopians were throwing bricks through people's diners. They were setting fire to almost everything, but not Ferrari of Seattle. That's just weird, right? The last Hooker Republic, the third one. It'll happen soon. Lord Roz and his 45 Nubian wives with their onyx hustle and their lightning stares. As if the cocaine of the river were in their blood, as if their children suckled on Kool-Aid and used restaurant gum. Lord Roz, as king of the third Hooker Republic, will have a staff, a, a rod for himself of diamonds and steel, a car pulled by 32 old white men, covered in their own feces and unrelenting in their tears and their sadness for all the crimes they committed, every crime. 32 old boomers will pull Lord Roz in a car. That'll be amazing. Because it's about abortion. The Third Hooker Republic will be a zone of total lesbian domination. Lord Roz will briefly rule. Lesbians and Heglamites and scrunchions will be seen bluviating their nogfer and tunctulating their yuzu as the ancient Greases flow. The lesbian armies will form up east of Borg Avenue, not far from old Pappy's Papsmeers next door to take out Roast Beef Emporium. lesbian armies of the third hooker republic will cover themselves in super glue and broken glass and street fury they will be coasted they will be coated 
in creosote and regret. Their fingernails will be broken, their legs covered in hair, unshaven. Their minds on fire from old stale wine, their hearts fluttering for total lesbian oneness in the waiting pool. The tan whales, <laughs> they too will be unrumulated by Norgan sauce and Roz and the lesbian queen will rule. The first all-night abortion mall will be opened up, 50% off for first-time killers. All trans males will be invited to have an abortion. It'll be a lot like the Merchant of Venice. There'll be a pound of flesh removed. And there will be protein for the stew. Magician, a witch, a mistress, a mistress of dark arts named Olestra, will be nominated first Queen Empress Thangy of Chopchaz. All the Strinkle folk will come with offerings of fetus and monctus juice. They will cover themselves in old dead dolphin wax and the covered ivy of the cemetery of Bruglane, not far from old Shimbley's real nice kidney pies, which is next door to the night clinic across the street from the last stop motel in Kelly's bulk bags of ice. Isn't that convenient? Yeah, that's going to be the third Hooker Republic of Chastopia. And the results of it will be amazing. You will see things happen. It'll blow your mind. And if you're living in Capitol Hill and paying property taxes and you keep on voting, you just keep doing what you want to do, buddy. It sounds like you're living in the paradise of your own skull. What I can promise you is that they will give you no warning. And what I can promise you is what you think will be gradual and linear will not be. If it's just the collapse of the U.S. dollar, they're just keeping the plate spinning, buddy. They're just trying to keep you fucking confused until the last goddamn moment. And if it's worse than that, it's just worse than that. But the point is, it's a fuzzy event. That is the one thing we can be sure of based upon all these dumbass psyops. It's not a, an event they could break, oh, on Tuesday, June the 2nd, a Bob Limtok. No. All they could do was guess a range. That applies to many, many things. It applies to natural phenomena, and it also applies to socioeconomic phenomena. That these are fuzzy events. They happen within a range of time, with a range of probability. Last but not least, before we go, I got a quote from Dr. Freckles. And I've quoted this before, but I'm going I'm to leave on this quote, more or less, if you have the power to turn the world off, what more power do you need? If you have the power to turn the world off, what more power do you need? What more power do you need? That's it. I, I get so many reset freaks who try to explain to me the intricate predictive programming bullshit of the New World Order government. And I try to explain to them, maybe they will have a new government, but it's going to be hundreds of years after you're fucking dead. Between now and then, there'll be whatever safe zone they have, whatever underground bunker they have, and the rest will be, a la Judge Dredd, the cursed earth. And you won't want to live there because they're just it won't be that easy. There won't be enough fresh water, there'll be a lot of poison, and probably a few new creatures that <laughs> get to hang out with us at that time. The creatures that get to hang out with you when you take a garden and turn it into a monster desert, well, they, they're monsters. So, so no, you won't be in a fucking pod being spoon-fed gumptus. You won't be 
traveling on trains and massive zones of greenery because you're part of District 3. The reality is, worst case scenario, even if it's just the, the best case, which is the dollar collapse, the United States is going to be a chaos zone. Mad Max will probably look nice by comparison. And don't expect a lot of makeup or feminine products or you know, the ability to shave your legs. I'm sorry, girlfriends out there or boyfriends. If you need a lot of products, so this applies to all genders, if you need products and showers and soap all the fucking time, yeah, it's not going to be pretty. If you don't like the smell of people's B.O., you're going to have a hard fucking time. You'll have to live on the edge of town. Which, where the, you know, scorpion snakes live, or the crocopotamus. Imagine a crocopotamus. We lose 20 reactors on the East Coast. You get a crocopotamus, half crocodile, half hippopotamus, with the anger of both, the passion of pain. The hippo will kill you. The croc will spin you. You will drown. You will be eaten. You'll be crocodile stool. Crocopotamus, I mean. Yeah, that's the kind of creature you get to hang out with. It's not going to be the reset. You're not going to get a pod, and they don't care if you get a fucking meal. You won't be eating bugs and happy. It's literally the opposite, motherfucker. You'll be happy if you find a fucking bug you can eat. That's more like the reality of what's coming. So yeah, they might create their one world government in the year 2566 after the Earth has gotten semi-livable again, best case scenario. But, but in the time between now and then, after all those reactors go critical and maybe even they throw a little nuclear war, you're going to be dealing with a crocopotamus and people with a lot of fucking B.O. And you're not going to have a lot of sexy adventures and unlike Road Warrior, the worst case scenario won't be English style teeth, if you know what I mean. The brown black teeth, you know, meth, meth, meth mouth. Yeah, Road Warrior. Just about all the sexy people wearing really beautiful white clothing and Road Warrior had meth mouth. Did you notice that? Um, so there you go. As stated at the beginning, um, if you can donate a little to my podcast, please do. But I think money's tight all over. I have friends out there who have told me they can't donate. And believe me, I'm not talking to you. I'm just talking to that random person that might have made trillions of dollars on all their arbitrages between crypto and reverse vampire tontines and various real estate riot bullshit. And they, you know, spent two years with Blackwater hunting down Grumpton folk in Sklimpton. So they got all kinds of gold and silver and, you know, human skulls they can hawk for a little bit of buck. If you like this podcast and you have the money, go ahead and click on the fucking link and donate something. But you don't have to. Have a great rest of your Thursday.